and welcome to Panorama. I am your co-host, Dan Torres, and I am here with Sarah Robertson. Sarah, how you doing? I am doing great, Dan. Why don't you tell us who we have on the show today? Great. We have Jason and Jane Saroyan here with us. They have such a fascinating story, Sarah. I just have to say it's uh, I, I heard them during a previous interview on another show, Afternoon Buzz, that I'm a part of. And they did van life, plus they have their own business. And I was like, I got to have them on Panorama because we got to really dig in. This is what we do on Panorama. We have to <laughs> dig in to see how did this get started? Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Love an opportunity to talk about van life. And so. Yeah, van life <laughs> and the business, because yeah. I want to touch on both. And we have a good amount of time. You know, we've been hearing a lot about van life in the last couple months, maybe last year. It's really hit the news. I also read a story about a Corey Geiger on Mass Live, who is a woman who lives in a van with her dog and works remotely. Tell us, like, how do you define what van life is? Well, I mean, I think one of the things that's so fascinating is choosing to have an adventure essentially every day. So you're in this mobile vehicle and it can be parked almost anywhere, relatively legally, particularly if you're out west, there's so much open land and space. And it gives you an opportunity to really explore in a way that cuts you free from a lot of the confines of daily life of living in a home. Um, lots of those social relationships that we navigate and mitigate every day. Um, a lot of those are really shrunk down to daily interactions as opposed to kind of your your broader uh, presence in the global sphere of being online. Mm. And you get to choose pretty much where you want to be in the landscape that you throw open that door to every day. Wow. Jane, is that how you felt? Yeah, and it's fascinating because there's so many people doing it differently. I mean, mm. you see the massive RVs, and they've got washing machines and televisions. And, and our, our rig... Um, was quite simple by design and by necessity. Um, so there's just all different people doing it all different kinds of ways. And um, so there is no one definition. But but I think, yeah, Jason really nails it. It's, it's basically drastically simplifying your life and sort of surrendering to the opportunities and challenges that are going to present themselves around every corner because it's not just wake up, coffee, you know, get the kids to school, do the job, repeat. It, it's every day. There's kind of that and and a lot of unknown. Wow. I, I got to start here. How did this idea come about for you two? Did somebody wake up one day and say, hey, let's do van life? Well, it's worth saying that our, our work is in experiential education. So we've been really fortunate to take on some pretty extraordinary travels throughout our adult lives, both separately and then once becoming a married couple. And we've worked together for 15, 20 years now and now running our business. So the idea of taking hold of windows of time and space to do something rather unusual off the beaten path is both what we kind of preach <laughs> and encourage our students to do as well as take on ourselves. So that is not as really a huge stretch. Van life itself has been a dream of ours for a decade. We thought we would do it when our child finished high school and do a gap year together. And COVID just fast-tracked it, which I think I mentioned last time we had the opportunity to talk, is all of a sudden there was a window here, which lots of people saw, right? People moved into their vacation homes or did house swaps, realizing everyone was home working remotely. Where else can I do this? So we just started spinning with our minds really quickly when we saw school was going to be remote, running our own business, that this might be the window to seize. And then and then it was finding the van, which just happened to happen. 
and might not have. So there's a lot of luck involved Wait, there's here. a story there. Before I let Sarah ask a question, wait, how did the van come about? Like, yeah, so we, Late night website yeah, trolling. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. We um, had decided to spend the summer out on Cape Cod with Jane's mom, who lived out there full time. And that was COVID summer number one, yeah, right? COVID so 2020. Yeah. Yeah. And Jane was scrolling online and one of the marketplaces and I woke up in the morning and she's like, I found this van and it's in Worcester. And if you're interested in van life at all, there's not a lot of vans on the East Coast. If you go West, you can find many, many vans and many vans that are as much as a house in, you know, Florence or Northampton. But this van was under $20,000 and we were like, let's call this guy. And he saw us that day. Wow. We drove off Cape, three hours, dropped everything, went to Worcester and the the van had the bones. It was partially built out. We were not in a position to do all the work ourselves in the timeline that we had, and um, and the price was right. Yeah. So yeah. we ended up selling our Subaru, um, <laughs> and looked at each other and we're like, I guess we're going to do this. We dropped a five hundred dollar deposit with this guy that, that day. day, and as we're driving home, we because it's a it's like buying an international ticket, right? A plane ticket. It's that's almost the hardest step. But the moment you buy this ticket. Then the journey has begun and the unknown is in front of you. And we're looking at each other like, so we could eat $500, but are we going to go do this? Are we going to get in a van right now and rent our home and take our daughter to, and do remote school and do it? And the answer yes. was yes. The moment you pay that deposit, like the moment you bought that ticket, that there it is. There We're it is. fully committed to the journey. Tell me a little bit about the build out. Like, what are your amenities in the van? Mm. How are, <laughs> this is stuff he wants to know. I'm great, so glad you're asking. To talk about Do you it. want to start with some sure. of it? Yeah. Yeah. So the van, um, it was on its third iteration. And initially, there was a little bit of electric put in, electric for the cabin, right? So that you could plug in a phone or you had overhead lights. Um, the second owner put in a fan, and then the third owner was a plumber. So we were like, oh, great. So there's some running water off of these two six-gallon tanks that are easily replaceable. There's some basic electric. We need more electric. We need to plug in computers. We need to be able to run a booster for our phones so that we can get a more broad signal in many places we go. And so we recruited a 19-year-old college student in electrical engineering who taught me how to wire electric, and we pulled the paneling off and started with that. But it's pretty rigged out. It's got two fans in it. It's got running water. It's got plug-ins. It's got overhead lights. Um, It's got everything you need to be inside and stay cool ultimately, and stay relatively warm because it's insulated. Very much. Yeah. And it's worth noting, so we've got three solar panels on top and a battery bank in the back of the van. So we, it was really important to us because it was early COVID, right? So we wanted to be fully off-grid, both for the lifestyle that we enjoy anyway, but also campgrounds are still closed in lots of places. So being off-grid. So the van is fully self-sufficient, and that comes at some sacrifices. We don't have a washing machine. We don't have an oven. The things are going to draw power that you really need shore power, quote-unquote. So you got to plug in. We have the capability to plug in, but we really want to be off the grid. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have full running water, which is lovely. Um, we have plenty of charge for, um, again, the water pump, the fans, lights, um, and we have a composting toilet. So that doesn't require much. Um, Pretty simple, pretty basic, and very effective. And that's the thing that's interesting. There's a lot of ways to do van life, and we were definitely glamping, right? So a composting toilet is essentially a bucket inside of a box, and it's got a toilet seat on it, and you are utilizing the bathroom, and then you're dumping your waste. And 
in the United States, in every state, you can dump solid waste in any garbage can anywhere, um, just like you could dump a bag of diapers. And, you know, urine, three people in a van make a lot of urine <laughs> in, in a given day or, or a week. And so there's a, a lot of fun. You got to empty it daily. Uh, we yeah, learned that the hard places way. places to dump. But we did not have a shower. And I think that's the uh-huh. one amenity that a lot of people might might find struggle with considering how active we were. Yeah. Okay, so wait, where did you go to shower? Mm-hmm. Mm. So we didn't figure this out as early on, but basically every probably two to three weeks we would enjoy a hotel. Uh, okay. And that would be like deep deep cleaning for everybody, deep cleaning, deep cleaning of the van, deep cleaning of ourselves. Um, we started using campgrounds from time to time, yeah. um, friends' homes. Um, and certainly in the second half of the year, we were swimming in rivers and lakes all the time. And that's something we've actually been talking about as summer approaches, you know, here in Northampton is just how much, like no one ever said no to getting in a body of water. So again, this really pushes a lot of people's limits comfort wise. We come from a background of traveling internationally in pretty rustic conditions, backpacking with really limited amenities. So that was comfortable for us. Um, Baby wipes come in handy and a washcloth and a boiled pot of water to wash faces at night. Um, was okay for us. It was a stretch, but yeah. it was it was always worth it, frankly. Wow. How was the first night in the van life? What was that like? And and that, at that moment, did you have any second thoughts? I mean, I remember before even getting to the first night. So we left from Northampton, went right to Acadia okay. up in Maine. And um, before we even got there, it was a really hot day, I seem to recall. And we were maybe three or four hours into the journey. And again, remember early COVID, everyone's still so scared of like public bathrooms and restaurants. And we pulled over into a rest area. All of a sudden, Jason was like, you want a cup of coffee? I'm like, yeah, I want a cup of coffee. And all of a sudden, the stove is running. We're making coffee. Someone wants a quesadilla, we're making food, someone's using the bathroom, and we're all in this sort of safety and comfort of our van. So mm-hmm. before we even got to our first night, there was a look around each other like, okay, this is comfort. Yeah. Um, the first night was at a campground at Acadia. It rained for the next three days. Um, I actually think we did great. I think the first night and first few days, the biggest challenge was Wi-Fi. And of course, we've got a fully loaded work schedule. Yeah. So we didn't have a Wi-Fi signal the first morning to be able to attend meetings. Um, and we were leading up to a conference that we were presenting at. And that's when we realized, okay, we're going to have to have a little more foresight in an understanding of what is going to be around for um, a did, signal. Did you yeah. have a modem? I mean, what, what was going on with the internet there? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, most phones today can hotspot and you can essentially connect to your laptop to your phone and it'll create a digital signal. And we also had an additional separate unit as a hotspot. The booster that we put in our van is just an RV antenna that if you have any signal bars will boost it up. So if you have one, it'll usually boost it to like three or four. Generally, it was enough to broadcast via Zoom, which we do a lot and we did a lot during the pandemic for our work. Um, it was certainly enough for our, our child to be able to attend Zoom school, which they were. They were just continuing to attend school um, throughout the year um, from their school here in Massachusetts. So, But it was enough. Uh, we sometimes poached library Wi-Fi, and certainly if we were parked in a friend's driveway, got onto their home networks. But that first night was a lesson learned because it was stressful. Jason and I are professionals. It didn't feel good that we couldn't show up to phone calls. So yeah, we were zipping out of town off the campground to to manage that. And that was a big lesson learned right out the gate. So we had a conference coming up in about two or three weeks. And at that point, we made sure that we were at a friend's driveway and had 
everything we needed. Um, and or we were in Utah for another big series of events and got uh, that was one of the first times we got like a hotel for four nights so that everyone could be comfortable, spread out and really make sure we're taking care of the business. Yeah. Before yeah. we go yeah. on break, I, I also wanted to know. So during the day, you're busy, you're working. You just said, what do you do with the van? Does it just stay parked in some location or do you plan on driving it later? Like, It just depends on where we were. Okay. Often we laid out a schedule where the morning was everyone doing you know, power hours of work, our daughter in school. And then the afternoon starting around one o'clock was time to be in the outdoors. And then mm. we would often drive in the afternoon if we were going to move anywhere. Um, we found the best rhythm for our family was to choose a spot that was amazing and stay there for as many days as the cooler could hold out with ice and the water <laughs> would hold out. And then you'd have to pick up, hit a Walmart or another grocery center. Walmart was amazing, which is not a place we tend to shop generally, but they have an incredible organic section all over the country and it was easy shopping. And we ultimately ended up refueling and heading to the next spot. Okay. Um, traveling so, every day is stressful. It's There's stressful. a lot to break down in the van. Beds have to get broken down. Pots have to be put away. You know, it's not like all these glamorous Instagram shots where people have wine glasses hanging <laughs> oh my gosh. in bottles of wine uh, no. somewhere. It's like that, living that in a boat. Any friends down. of ours who are like <laughs> boaters, we're like, oh, this is like living in a boat. Everything is bungeed and clip shut and yeah, yeah. you're rattling around. And so you... It, so you parked in a, a parking lot of Walmart basically sometimes, right? And Less you would than stay a dozen there. times over the course of the year. But Walmart is very RV friendly. It's got right. a reputation. Anyone listening who's done a bit of this would know. And it's kind of a party sometimes in the parking lot. There's lots of other RVers or campers. It was always our, our last choice, but effective when we needed. Yeah. But generally yeah. speaking, um, there's BLM, Bureau of Land Management land yeah. that you can freely camp on. 24 hours a day. 24-7. Oh, wow. um, okay. There's National Forest land. There's lots of amazing phone apps to help you get there. So more often than not, we were camping on the edges of just spectacular um, national forest and conservation land. And beautiful views as well, I'm sure. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. All right. We're talking here with Jason and Jane Saroyan, uh, J2 Guides yep. and Van Life. We're <laughs> talking van life here on Panorama. They went on an adventure. We wanted to hear about it. We'll be back after this break. And welcome back to Panorama. We are speaking with Jane and Jason Saroyan about their time living in a van and running their own business. So I want to ask you guys about J2 Guides. Um, you had this um, experiential education um, business together before the pandemic, and then you moved it to a van, and you've continued it. Yeah. So do you yeah. want to tell us a little bit how that's been going yeah. and, and what the whole business yeah. model is, really? Well, uh, J2 Guides, we are gap year consultants, basically. So we work with families whose students might be taking time off between high school and college or during college or even after college who want to take meaningful gap time, and we help them plan and implement a, a productive and meaningful gap year. And that's a really viable mobile business, as it turns out, as many of us have learned, if we're so lucky, during COVID. What was fun in the twist, I do want to mention, I know Jason's bursting because he wants to say something, but what was great for us with COVID is because so many of our wonderful partners all over the world were also greatly, of course, impacted by COVID, a lot of international program providers pivoted to offering meaningful experiences in the United States. So in that first COVID academic year, 2020, 2021, many gappers were initially only in the United States. I know it's already hard to remember that time, but that is what was going on. So part of our pivot 
was to spotlight the American gap year. So we were also not haphazardly traveling around the country. We had pinpointed locations all over the country to meet up with gap year programs and gap year students to kind of celebrate and, and, and highlight all of the amazing things that young adults and gappers were doing all over the United States in that first year of COVID, which brought a lot of meaning to our journey um, and focus of like, how do you figure out where to go, right? It's an amazing country. So that, that was a lot of it. Um, and so, of course, we're not doing quite as much of that now that we're home in answer to your question. But was there something you wanted to add? Well, the summer of 2020, 2021 was really interesting for college students because mm. being that first COVID summer, colleges delayed as long as possible to tell students how they were going to be able to come onto campus. So that summer, we saw this humongous boost of interest within the space of gap year, because once college is finally announced, you're going to be on campus, you're going to be fully masked, you're going to be not eating in dining halls, but taking a brown bag back to your room. There's no sporting events, there's no arts. Students were looking at this like, well, that's not freshman year, as I understand it. I'm going to take a gap year. What, what is this? I'm going to go, I'm going to do that. And it was so fascinating for us, because the amount of interest really was an awesome pivot for our field. We're study abroad and literally being international was almost non-existent during that time. As Jane mentioned, gap year opportunities in the US just blossomed out of these wonderful seeds of, of programming. And we got to see many more students enjoy the US than we had ever seen. That carried over into the 2021 and 2022 year, and we've seen just a tremendous growth in the gap year field because students are very aware right now that real life experience, being with others, getting an opportunity to pursue your interests, it's not a given anymore as it, as it has been an expectation and uh, students are seizing their own educational journey right now in a way that's very inspiring to us. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to dig in a little bit. So how does it work? So uh, let's just pretend I'm a senior in high school. Mm. I call you and say, I'm not sure I want to go to college next year. <laughs> like, or is that the conversation? Yes. Or do I call you and say, I'm not sure if I want to go to college mm -hmm. next year. What happens? What do you do with the student? Well, there's initial conversations and often a parent or two might be involved also because sometimes it's the parent calling saying, I'm not sure my child's ready for college. Mm -hmm. So either way, you know, all are welcome to the conversation. And, and the initial phase is just really making a connection like, well, let's dream big. You know, if you could do anything. Yeah, that's a big focus for Jason and myself because generally people come right into it with like, well, I'm sure we can't afford it or my mom won't let me do it or my dad's got these concerns or... I'm sure this thing I want, I can't even do it in a gap year. So we've heard that so much that Jason, like, you know what? We're going to get to that. Let's just talk about you. What makes you happy? What's going what's gonna to be the healthiest way for you to live and learn next year? And if you could do anything, what would it be? So we're big with the dreaming, but we're also very pragmatic people. So then after we get students rolling, like, well, I've been dancing, or I think I'm interested in engineering, or maybe medicine, or journalism, or maybe be a cook. I don't even know if I need to go to a traditional four-year school. Maybe I just need some great internships to bolster up a resume. So once we can get a student to start to really lean into that and articulate their goals, then we bring in, okay, well, let's just talk about gently the parameters. Let's talk about a budget. Let's talk about parental concerns mm -hmm. so that we do have a full picture. And then, not unlike a college counselor, we can start, we're matchmakers. And it's like, well, Jason and I spend our time, van life, obviously, vetting domestic gap year programs. But when it's not then, 
five years ago, it was a month in New Zealand. And four years ago, it was a month in England. And six years ago, it was a month in Costa Rica. We try to grab a chunk of time, dive into a country, and we vet programs. So then as we're meeting with families, we are kind of pairing them up and their criteria with that kind of mental Rolodex of quality, reputable experiences that we think are going to help that young mm. adult achieve what they're looking for. Wow. Sorry, <laughs> sorry to ask this, but what if the, uh, the 18 year old or 17 year old doesn't know like what they want to do? Like, how do you just pry in and say, what do you like? And then try to build out from that. Is that, is that the strategy pretty well, much? And one of the things that Jane and I love, and this has been a part of our journey as educators over 25 years is it's really hard to make big decisions. What yeah. 18 year olds do know what they want to do, what 40 year olds know what they want to do. <laughs> and the reality is learning how to make decisions for yourself is a critical adult skill. Yeah. And so Jane and I want to work with students to actually help them determine for themselves, what is my decision-making process? How do I narrow down the you know multitude of opportunities into something that actually really feels like a better fit? We know this is a dynamic journey, just like life. You're going to learn so much in that first experience, and it may inform that second or third experience that you have during your gap time. But we go through a process of students identifying the filters that are critical for them. Can they glamp? Do they need internet? Do they want to be around other peers? Can they be in a different language? Do they have a specific skill set that they want to get mastery in? And then we start utilizing that to help paint out a bit more of a clear picture. I wish I knew you were around when I was a senior in high school. That's what I wanted to say. Um, do you have a question? Because I do. Oh, I was just going to say, it sounds like that kind of mentoring experience really helped you guys pull the trigger on getting a van and doing this trip yourselves. Mm -hmm. The whole journey was such a metaphor, and we were really in line with so many of our students. It was all of the fear and anxiety they talk about when they make that first choice of like, I'm going to take gap time. We had all of that going in where we made the choice to take van life. Now we're on the journey and there are highs and there are lows. And are we working together as a team? Are we processing through what's going on? Are we supporting each other? Are we pivoting when necessary? And then maybe we'll have time to talk about the reentry and what it means to come off of that gap year journey or off of that oh. van life and try and reintegrate back into life. You're, which is, you're reading my mind already, yeah. Jason. How did you know <laughs> I would eventually go here? There you go. Well, so a senior takes a break for a year, maybe longer. What's the advantage to taking off? Somebody's listening right now who is a junior or senior in high school thinking about it. What, what happens to that student, you think, for that one year? And also talk about their stories coming back. Like, give us mm -hmm. a couple examples of students who just were blown away, who maybe didn't know what they wanted to do, took a gap year, and then reached back out and said, oh, my God, it was amazing. This is what happened. Mm. Um, uh, it's, this is the, it's so fun to talk about. And this is a really rich time of year because our, our outbound gappers are now coming home. So there's lots of debriefs and reentry conversations. We actually just led our reentry workshop, so had our students log in and share stories and talk about integration and transference. And... Um, and the emails from parents, and it's like goosebumps and tears almost every day because there's so much gratitude and joy. And, mm -hmm. and the common thread, really, no matter the budget, where they went, what they did, the words that you hear every day are increased confidence, maturity, resiliency, broadened perspective. And again, doesn't matter where they went, how much they spent. Um, it was leaving home. It's so much on their own terms. Like that, the reward of I'm leaving the kind of... Um, 
hamster wheel, which a lot of students mm. comment on, that treadmill. I'm just doing this thing because it's what I'm supposed to do. It's what my friends are doing. It's been great or not, but I'm doing it because I'm told. College, same thing. It's what we're supposed to do. Mm. To give students permission, we talk a lot about um, engaging with their interests without the pressure of performance or grades. Mm-hmm. Um, the gap year space is is populated by really tremendous people, brilliant people who could be making huge money in any other number of fields, but they've chosen this space because the emotional reward is so big. So you've got all these amazing mentors and program directors and founders who are brilliant IQ and EQ and are guiding these experiences with that sole focus of wanting to help uplift the young adult to being really empowered decision makers. Mm. And that is what we see. And what's really amazing, having sat on lots of panels, and even two months ago, I was on a panel with the dean of undergraduate admissions from Duke. And he's like, give me a gapper any day. I can see them on campus. I know those freshmen on campus, and I know who the gappers are. So, And we are starting to see through the last thing I'll say, anecdotally, we could, Dan, we could do this for hours about the benefits. Yeah. Yeah. But the data is also now coming out. I, that's what I was yeah, going to ask. one data. of my questions. I was like, is there data There's to back up? There's now data. After yeah. 25 years, Jason and I could talk about thousands and thousands of students. And not all of them will come out saying it was the best year of their lives, but most do. <laughs> but yeah. the data is now showing that gappers on a college campus are achieving higher GPAs. Right. Um, again, back to those buzzwords of maturity, confidence, confidence. resiliency. They're one year older as well. They're that, one year one, older. And going from 17 to 18 is a big jump. We have a student who um, wrote a blog for us, and she talks so much about how, you know, she thinks if she looked back a year, you know, if she hadn't done the gap year, she would have been in the back of the classroom and and all these. And she talks about this so beautifully and that, you know, after a gap year, she was front row, raising her hand, going to office hours, like squeezing everything she could out of college. She really understood that this was a gift and she didn't want to waste it. But the data is showing higher GPAs, and that gappers are graduating closer to four years. And little known fact, the mm. national average of students graduating a four-year institution is Five, six years. Six years. No one talks about wow. this. Wow. So people say, ooh, that's a year we weren't budgeting for. Right. It's, I don't want to be a year behind my peers. I'm like, you know what? You're not going to be. But yeah. it's hard to, it's, it's, you know, you don't right. want to be too pushy on, on the benefits because people will just feel like you're trying to do a hard sell. But it's pretty right. astounding what Why? you see. Yeah. Well, we got to take a break here. We're talking to Jason and Jane Saroyan yep. from J2 Guides <laughs> and Van Lifers as well. For how long again? We were out of our house for 14 months. 14 months for van lifing. That's amazing. We'll be right back here on Panorama. I'm Dan Torres with Sarah Robertson right after this. Welcome back to Panorama. I'm Dan Torres here with Sarah Robertson, and we're talking to Jason and Jane Soroyan, van lifers, also working for J2 Guides. I need to know, let's go back to your van life story, because I needed to know this. <laughs> so you park somewhere, let's say Colorado, mm. and um, you're asleep. Do bears come to visit? Do people come to visit <laughs> at 3 a.m.? I need to know. That's a question that's been burning in my mind. I know we're talking about van life, but there had to be some interaction with nature and people, right? You know, um, you'd be surprised how few interactions while hanging out in the van we had either with people and certainly with animals. Um, we never had an animal encounter. Where no a, bears? A bear Not came one. knocking. 
Um, we had many animal encounters, but oh. those always out on trail and okay. enjoying experiences like that. Um, we were only knocked on one time, and we only had one person get frustrated with us for where we parked. And we got knocked on one time because it, we were parked in Colorado, in Boulder. Um, it was just Kaya, our daughter, and I, Jane, was off on a little sojourn. And um, it was graduation weekend for one of the colleges there. And uh, at 3.30 in the morning, I woke up to hear a gaggle of drunk young men walking up the road. I'm like, oh, they're going to knock. And sure enough, they walked by and knocked and kept on walking. And it was the only <laughs> knock we received the entire time. And it was laughable. Um, and Although at that moment, I have to ask, were you a little creeped out? I was clear who it was. It okay. would be creepy if you got a random knock. And, right. and I... I'd be lying to say we didn't go to sleep a few nights. You're just wondering, right? Being yeah. parked in a strange spot, the National Forest area, right. parked in a Walmart parking lot. There's not a lot of other people around. Um, it it definitely you have to let go of some of the anxiety of just right. you know knowing that you're in a safe spot, knowing you're in a vehicle where all you have to do is turn the key and put your foot on the gas, and you can drive away. Right. And you know you're likely going to be able to get out of. Because I was thinking about that as you were talking about all these great stories, and it sounds like you had a great time, very enjoyable. I'm sure there were a couple frustrations here and there, but mm. overall, it mm. sounds like you really enjoyed it. But mm. at the same time, I would think to myself, like, it's an entirely safe endeavor. Mm. And I'm getting that, yeah, it is. It's just a matter of teaching yourself to kind of have confidence in, in like, this is a vehicle we're yeah. sleeping in, right? Yeah. Not I home. mean, I think there's a lot of levels. It's great to have a partner you trust. Yeah. Um, Jason and I have been together and worked together and adventured hard together for a long time. So trusting your your co-pilot is huge. Um, mm. We actually made agreements. We have a dear friend um, who worked for, was it Big Apple Circus mm -hmm. for years? And he's like, look, I've done, I've lived in the van, I've done it. And he's a brilliant guy. And he's like, I just want you guys to know before you leave, I love you both so much. You're driving a gigantic vehicle. I just want to remind you, you're going to get real comfortable and get real at ease with it. Dial it all back. Dial your speed back. Dial everything back. And it was hmm. literally days before we hit the road. And we looked at each other like, oh, let's – and Jason and I love to talk and process probably obviously at this point. So we looked at each other and we had a 30-minute, hour-long conversation about what were our driving rules at that point. Hmm. What's our top speed? Um, two hands on the wheel at all time. Like we're driving our most precious everything. Right. Our family and – what core possessions we choose, choose chose to, to take, to take yeah. um, and our lives and all of that and big hills and who knows what with weather and strangers. So a rule that Jason and I have always actually had as travelers long before our, our daughter came into this world was also if one person has a strong feeling, that's the feeling you go with. Um, meaning like, you know, not everything needs to be this brokerage of like, I'm kind of neutral. And then the person who has a strong feeling needs to come down to that or convince mm. you. If I'm neutral and Jason's like, I don't feel good about this spot. Mm. That's what we're going with. And mm. that came probably a lot early on from our travels. And we lived and worked in Africa a bit. And it was like, if someone doesn't have a good feeling, that's what we're going with. Okay. And and we respect that. So, you know, I think that set us up for success really well. Yeah. And, I, like that. and I'm curious to know, like, how do you not go stir crazy or you feel a little claustrophobic, mm -hmm. like feeling like this isn't a home. I get to walk into a room and mm -hmm. just decompress. Do you decompress in nature mm -hmm. all the time? How does that work? Yeah. The beautiful thing about a van, just like a tiny house, is that... Um, it it encourages you strongly to be outdoors. And so uh, when we would make a camp, let's say we you know camp by a river somewhere in Montana, 
immediately everyone is out of the van and usually going their separate directions, right? So I was often going on a trail run. Jane was often playing ukulele. Our daughter was often out and exploring or reading their books somewhere down by the river. How old and is she, by the way? Now 12, was okay. 10 was and 10. 11 okay. during that journey. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and it really encourages one to be outside. And it's great. The van is super cozy. It feels way more spacious than one could imagine when you're in there for a long time. And... Yeah, it was great for everybody to just get out and find their own spots. Yeah, yeah. I never felt claustrophobic. It's really? such a great question, Dan, because, yeah. I mean, I've I think talked... it's what people assume. <laughs> yeah, totally, it's like... totally. And it's tight in there, but and you do, you learn how to, like, move around each other. And um, I think the minimalism really appeals to me and in our entire family, but make a little French press every morning. Whoever is out of the bed first, the other person's breaking down the bed, and it turns back into kind of, like, couches of, mm. and the little table where we worked. And that sliding door opens, it's got a very specific sound and it rolls open and you're looking at something and you're, you know, in your jammies with the coffee somewhere beautiful. Like, what does this day have in store? So to me, it was total freedom. Um, mm -hmm. And in fact, we talked a long time when we were naming the van about calling her Freedom or Uhuru, yep. which means freedom. Um, we ended up on Luna, which Kaya chose, which has really stuck and we love it. But that's what it felt like. And then again... You know, I was having memories of Sedona, which mm. we ended up spending a be few beautiful days in and mm. long, hot days hiking. And you'd come back and this is the thing, it, you know, so expansive, expansive vistas, expansive hikes. And then you have everything you need right there. And other people are getting back in their cars or sure, going to a hotel in a shower. And I can make us, we can make food and we can change clothes and it like right at the trailhead. And it just felt so liberating and like everyone's needs could be taken care of. It was sort of astounding. Again, that's us. And mm. so, and we know that living with less makes us happy. Yeah. And one thing I really want to comment on, and it may not be an obvious question to even ask, but one of the beautiful things about wilderness adventures or an expedition, and this becomes an expedition in its own way, is it has its own rhythm of life mm. um, and rhythm of daily life. And, um, there's only so much space and time. Each of us had responsibilities in just like being on a ship in a way. Um, and that took up portions of the day, but it just allowed you to easily cut out so much of the noise. And mm -hmm. we found ourselves with a lot more space because we weren't on social media. We found ourselves with a lot more time for each other because the relationships were so intimately connected to each other. We mm -hmm. were the ones who were there together. Mm -hmm. And we did stay in touch with family and friends and, of course, occasionally went on social media. But the rhythm of daily life allowed for a lot more calm. Mm. And for three mm. people who are wired towards anxiety in slightly different ways, mm -hmm. I can say at least for myself, and I witnessed it in the two of them, that all of us hit just a level of mm. calm and ease during mm. most days that was so contrasted with the return home mm. of coming back into this life, which we all don't notice it very much, but there's so much white noise in our lives and right. there's so many things to pay attention to. Mm. And the beauty of a journey like van life is the only thing to pay attention to is what's happening right then and there. <laughs> there's nowhere else to be. Mm. It's amazing. Wow. So we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I want to ask you guys about what it's been like to come back to the mm. real world <laughs> after right. 14 hey, months. Hey, they were in the real world. <laughs> you were in the realer world. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well the said. less mobile world. How about <laughs> yeah. that? All right. We'll be right, right and back. We are speaking with Jason and Jane Saroyan. You're listening to Panorama, and we will be right back. 
And welcome back to Panorama. We are speaking with Jason and Jane Saroyan of J2 Guides about their life in a van. Um, and you guys are back living in Northampton now, adjusting to life in the, I said the real world, but it could be the less real world, however you want to mm. define it. That's how um, I defined it. Sarah. <laughs> so um, tell us what that's been like for you guys to come back here and adjust to life. I mean, still during a pandemic, and, too. And, and I just want to add on to Sarah's question. Mm. Uh, how was the first day back? Like, what are your minds like? Like, is it still in the mode of van life when you came back? I bet back you took a long, day? hot shower. I bet. I, I will say, so you did nail on something right there. The shower and our bed. We got a really nice bed at home. Our shower and bed felt and continue to feel incredible. So those those are lovely. <laughs> all the things that were boxed, guess what? Nine months later, still haven't used them, still haven't even opened all the boxes. So it wow. really kind of really does showcase how little we need. Mm. And again, with COVID, like we're not going to in-person conferences. So, you know, right. we've all gone through some of that shedding. I would say, you know, it was mixed. The first coming home was very euphoric because... Uh, we just have such an incredible community. So we felt so welcomed and adored. I mean, there were f- like flowers. You know, it was like someone had died. There were like flowers and gift bags because people knew our day of return. There were things all over our back porch. It was beautiful. Mm-hmm. I happened to turn 50. So there was also just like people really wanting to like celebrate us home and celebrate me. And it was really wow. quite astounding. And then there was still lots of rich storytelling. So akin to our gappers, I think there's a real high initially of coming back um, and being able to storytell. And I think some of the more challenges kind of set in a few months later as we realize, okay, so here we are. And how do we integrate this extraordinary year we've had back into life? Because the questions are falling away. It's not a priority, of course, naturally, um, for, for everyone to talk about it. And we're here now needing to repair that fence and dealing with that broken thing or, you know, attending to these other real world, right, matters at home. And that that um, felt incredibly dramatic and, and overwhelming and I think still continues to be a little bit to this day. Yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting to watch each of us come back into life in our communities. Um, I watched all of us be much bigger listeners than we were talkers um, initially, just everybody really looking around and trying to take in the landscape. Um, I watched us not commit to many things, right? Just wanting to see where life was going to take us, not commit to being a part of that committee or that group, but really just, what do I have capacity for? What am I up for? Our child going back to school and being mm-hmm. back in a formalized education environment, reconnecting with friends, taking on sixth grade, which is just much more challenging academically, and us really wanting to make space for that. Um, I think over time, each of us has had anxiety come up again that I don't think we were expecting. And we've had the good fortune, which most people who go on these journeys do not have, that we have each other and we can reflect Mm -hmm. back. I see you. I saw you at this time. I see what's happening for you right now. I've got a lot of empathy and compassion for you. What can I do to support you right now? Which most people end up coming home into an environment where people don't understand what you've gone through. They Mm -hmm. don't understand how you've grown and changed. They haven't seen you in that different facet of yourself that was expressed. And so I think we have really, it's, it's drawn our family even tighter, if you can imagine Mm -hmm. that, but we are such a close unit of three now. 
Um, and it makes us wonder. It mm. makes us wonder about possibility. Mm. I don't mm. think we don't we do not feel as confined by the dictated systems as we once did. It's a fearful idea to go off and do this again. And there's so much unknown. But to leave the standardized school system right now doesn't feel as scary as an idea as it once might have. For us to mm. be on the road again, mobile in our jobs doesn't feel as frightening as it did. Mm. There's mm. more possibility mm. in life. Mm. Mm. And and while you were gone, uh, did people take care of your homes? I, I just assumed there must have been something, like in the wintertime, you didn't want that. pipes. We rented oh, you, our you home. you rented out your yeah, home. Yeah, we okay. had three different tenants over 15 months. Wow, okay. Um, and then a really good friend of ours who is a multi-talented woman, um, among which we'll do some house cleaning. I had her, we had her come in in between and kind of just survey the house and kind of help I guess, flip it. But we were managing the rentals from the road. From the road. Yeah. Very nice. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. It was I mean, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And and I guess you, you touched on this. Um, what's the lasting impact that, that this trip had on you? If there, you think there was one permanent thing? I mean, I'm hearing a lot mm. of changes individually, but do you think like one stands out where before van life, you didn't do it so much. You did the van life. You learned this process over the 14 months and it has stayed with you. That's a great question. I mean, I can answer wanna, for yeah, me. Go for it. Go for it. Um, I feel like one of the things that Van Life helped me reflect on was how much ordering the world gives me a sense of, and a feeling of control. And mm-hmm. um, one of the things I realized over time is that actually not having control is is, is a wonderful thing sometimes, mm-hmm. um, and that just being open to possibility is actually sometimes even more enjoyable than than dictating the outcome mm. as, or as much as one can or think that they can. And I feel like for me, my stress response to the unknown as it comes up, even if it's not fun or good, is much more mitigated than mm. it was before I left. And for me, that feels like a huge place of growth mm. that, you know, 45 years into my life, I wondered if I would ever achieve. Mm. Mm. Wow. Yeah. That is... That's deep right there. That's, that's really deep. That's Jason Soroyan. Yeah, I can tell you. That is philosophical. That is, that is, that is wow. And what about you, yeah. Jane? I mean, I feel every time we've taken on some of these adventures, um, I think it's a lot of the sort of shared, uh, the lessons repeat themselves. Um, I, 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 I love I see myself as like kind of a homebody. Like I could, I could, I could spend a day putzing around the backyard in the garden and doing things all day very happily. And sometimes that's how I identify myself. Um, but every time we travel, um, I see another side of myself that is very happy and maybe even happier um, with the spontaneity, meeting mm. people. I'm, you know, Jason and Kaya would just be like in the parking lot of a gas station shaking their heads because all of a sudden I'd be chatting up with someone else and they'd be like, come on, wrap that up, Jane. <laughs> so the joy I feel in connecting with people um, spontaneously and, and in, in limited fashion oftentimes um, is really fulfilling. Mm. Um, I was sort of the one that was finding where we would sleep every night and that puzzle of figuring out how close can we get to the gate of Glacier National Park that feels safe and maybe has, you know, a river or body of water, you know, putting that puzzle together really um, mm. activates a, a place in me mm. spiritually, socially, intellectually that is not as activated, I think, mm. here at home. 
And that's a side of me that that's why I started being a trip leader and was leading expeditions of students in my late teens and most of my 20s all over the world. It's like, you know, juggling both the logistician and as well as that kind of shepherd of guiding people through experiences. So wow. that's a skill set that doesn't get tapped into as much every day. And yeah. I love it. And it was really fulfilling. Um, yeah. So that that's something that I really value. And it's really hard to to work to cultivate that in the day-to-day back home. Yeah. <clears throat> and I just want to ask you guys about having this experience with Kai, who, mm. because as moving and changing it has been for you to do this when you are 10 or 12 mm-hmm. years old is huge. Yeah. So what, what was it like for, for Kai? I wish Kai was here to Me answer too. that um, themselves because they are just um, really a very still um, such an open-hearted and honest 12-year-old, so they would be very honest. I think, I mean, Kai will say that they loved it. Kaya is has been, and, and Kaya really showed their true colors. And, and I would say, you know, with COVID, of course, you know, it's not a big topic of our conversation today, but part of coming home, what's been challenging is we kind of skipped COVID last year, mm. even though it was kind of scary and crazy out there. We, right, we were traveling for half the year before vaccinations were being made widely available, mm. all more than half a year. And being careful and in all kinds of states with all kinds of people who had very different, you know, political leanings, all fine. But like that was kind of a wild year. But somehow it still felt like we everyone just was like open and and exploring and we felt so free. And so we're coming back to obviously a very different COVID year, but COVID nonetheless. So that that is part of it. But COVID will say that they, Kai will say that they loved it and um, they did miss friends. But and we saw the same thing. We saw someone who was really up for the adventure and someone who definitely experiences anxiety that is almost more crippling back home. But on the road, it was like, where will we be sleeping tonight? And we're like, you know what, babe? We have no idea. And they were like, mm-hmm. okay. Well, you know, mm-hmm. I'm with you. I trust you. And I saw that confidence in us and in, in themselves that, you know, is we're sort of, you know, reverting or regressing back to some of the kind of daily challenges that mm-hmm. aren't about where we're sleeping. And now it's about sixth grade. And all the stuff accompanying it. So it's a little heartbreaking as a parent to watch someone go from kind of living their best self, most authentic self, um, to kind of trying to confine that into this journey here. But Kai has been an astounding traveler from the beginning. I mean, you know, in a backpack in Bali at six months old and um, all the way and always (laughs) making friends and and always curious um, and and trusting us to, to guide them through a pretty unusual journey. And that definitely happened throughout last year. Yeah. And as a family, just being able to have that concentrated time that, again, while all of us had our own responsibilities, it gave everybody a chance to dive into their passions and their joys. And Mm -hmm. Kaya found that for themselves, writing and creative writing particularly is a huge Mm -hmm. source of inspiration. And it has really carried through. It has become their their calm space. It has become the thing they go to, and they do a lot. Remember that name, Kaya Saroyan? You'll be seeing that published <laughs> later on in their life, I guess. Um, and that's been amazing. It's also amazing to share the landscape of the United States oh together, gosh. right? We're passing through Louisiana and seeing still destruction from Hurricane Katrina and all the damage, and we're wow. passing through the Navajo Reservation and trying to make sense as people who've traveled all over the world and trying to make sense with our child. How is it possible that people live like this in our country? And what history do we need to confront Mm -hmm. to be able to understand this? What history does she need to confront to be able to understand this in the context of a life? And um, that was very powerful. And what states did you end up going through? 
Now that I thought of that, I should have asked well, that earlier. Essentially, How much time do we have? We, yeah, we went <laughs> we, up we and down. We were over five minutes. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we went up and down the, the, you know, the East Coast, the Atlantic seaboard, and then took a southern route across to so basically drawing a straight line from Florida all the way across okay. to California, up through California, and then we zigzagged down through Utah, Colorado, Colorado, Colorado. Montana. We went back out to Oregon and Washington. Yep, South Dakota. Came back was, to a lot of time in Montana. So yep. we hit a lot. Wow. And and for us, and we, we preach this to our students as well to kind of bring it back to the gap year space, yeah. which is it's really quality over quantity. This mm-hmm. is not about check marks or how many cities you went to in Europe or how many national parks you hit. It's about getting to a place and trying to really make a connection and learn something. Yeah. Um, but we still did cover a lot, probably 25,000 miles, yeah. more or less. It reminds me of this commercial I've seen on television. That It's for a travel company. And they're basically showing you that, like, what matters in life? And, you know, at the end of life, like, is it really about the things you're buying or is it about the experiences and places you go? Mm-hmm. And I mean, and clearly That's as it. a travel company, they're like, it's about the experiences because mm-hmm. you reach at a certain point and you are that accumulation of those experiences. Nobody gets to take things with them, yeah. you know, That's at the right. end of life. That's right. So sorry to end on that note, but yeah. <laughs> it is on a positive note That's right. nevertheless, because it is truthfully about experiences that you have. And it clearly, uh, Jason and uh, Jane, uh, Saroyan had a lot of experiences and enjoyed a lot of life that was certainly life-changing and worthy. And it almost sounds like there could be a repeat in the future. That's what it yeah. feels like. Oh, but, you know, that's that's my a text message <laughs> has come in as we're well, coming to the studio from the guy who's got our van right now because we're doing a 2.0. So oh, we're wow. heading back out wow. pretty soon. See what we did? Yeah. Could, you, yeah. could you leave us with a piece of advice for people who are considering a journey like this and especially maybe parents who are considering a journey like this? Mm. I mean, the thing that is worth saying is it doesn't have to be a year. It doesn't have to be 14 months. If you can take two weeks, if you could do a month, if you could do an Airbnb somewhere else and it's not in a vehicle, if you can rent an RV, if you can borrow something, it's just worth doing. It's just worth taking this time. It's worth gifting yourself the time Mm -hmm. and your family the time to be together, to unplug a little bit and just allow yourself to enjoy the spaces that there's just so many spaces. You don't have to leave New England to have a magnificent journey. It's so true. Yeah. And to find a way to bring some purpose to it. So, you know, when we plotted out this journey, um, we had a Google map and I dropped three different colors of pins and one was beautiful places. So any national park, anything cool we'd ever been told about. One, and so, you know, 50 or 100 pins. And then one color pin was beautiful faces, friends and family all over the country. And the third were site visits. Mm. And then you drop them and we zoomed out and we could see where there were clusters. And so to try and create an itinerary that does hook into places of meaning. This is where, you know, your mother and I met, or let's go visit the grandparents. But to bring in Pieces that bring meaning, I think that content makes us more of a traveler as opposed to a tourist. It's the same advice we give to our students, whether they're in the States or overseas, but try to really find a way to to go beyond the surface so that the experiences are not just transactional, but move more towards the transformational. Wow. Well, we'll end it there. We've been talking with Jason and Jane Saroyan here talking about van life and J2 guides and uh, it's been philosophical and learning <laughs> and amazing really thanks for coming on Panorama thank you thank so you much for having us can't wait for you to let me borrow your van oh. anytime <laughs> <laughs>